Hey all, welcome to Film Suck, a Patreon podcast in which we ponder the work of art in the age of crap cinema. I'm Eileen Jones. I'm Dolores McElroy. And today we're, we're really committing ourselves to the topic of uh, crap summer cinema, which we had intended to like dedicate the summer to, but we, then we wound up seeing a few good movies. Uh, but <laughs> we're talking about Bullet Train today, and, and neither of us is very impressed. It's directed by David Leach. Um, you might know him from, he, he directed Atomic Blonde. He was the co-director of the original John Wick and goes on being a producer and heavily involved in that very successful series. Um, you know, he started off as a stuntman, et cetera. He was, in fact, once Brad Pitt's stuntman on movies like uh, Fight Club, The Mexican, and others. So he's had a long um, relationship with Brad Pitt. Um, so the movie, just to give you a little capsule, it's, it's if you haven't seen the previews, it's about a sweet-tempered assassin played by Brad Pitt. His code name is Ladybug. Um, and he has just returned to work after an interval of rest and therapy to try to deal with his issues, his existential crisis, if you will. <laughs> and he's hoping to come back to it, you know, to start off again with a nice, simple, you know, snatch and grab job that will involve no violence. He even refuses to take his gun, which is, you know, um, not a good idea. And unfortunately for him, and he, and he has, he feels he has consistently terrible luck, um, in his life. Um, there are a number of other assassins also on board the high-speed train from um, Tokyo to Kyoto. And they're all after this same um, silver brief case, so you can imagine mayhem ensues, et cetera, et cetera. As always, please note, there will be spoilers. We, we can't <laughs> talk without spoiling, so just prepare yourself for that. Um, so let's just plunge in. What do we think? And I know, Dolores, you definitely have oh a take. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I kind of don't. My take is paper thin, just uh. like this film. <laughs> I, I'm feeling there is... A, let me, oh, my God. Um, okay, I, I've forgotten most of it. Mm -hmm. um, while I was there, I noticeably cared about pretty much not a single character <laughs> except Brad Pitt who's a who is a pleasure to watch he's you know he's naturally like very funny mm -hmm. he's 58 years old he looks absolutely great he is aging better than anyone I would say since Paul Newman it's shocking he just oh gets better God. looking all the time Scary. He lo he looks amazing, yeah. and you know he just he wears clothes beautifully. He's got mm -hmm. like the perfect white t shirt and baggy navy blue pants. Mm -hmm. I mean, he he's a beautiful man. Mm -hmm. Um, so he's a pleasure, and he's you know he's got this natural humor and you know just way about him. He's so watchable. Like thank God he's on the screen because <laughs> right, right. I, you don't care about his mission. You don't care about the villains. You're not invested mm -hmm. in. It opens with a kid in a hospital bed, mm -hmm. um, a kid who gets pushed off the roof by one of the villains mm -hmm. and like you don't care <laughs> mm -hmm. like somehow it's not like remotely moving and then i have to say this was the longest fucking <laughs> film i have ever watched and it's really only what technically it's i think it's two hours and six minutes but, but it seems why much is it longer. two hours and six oh, minutes it that is editing so badly oh, oh my god <laughs> So at some point, like I go into the movie theater for a 1230 showtime. Of course, it's at like the multiplex. So there's like 25 minutes of, mm -hmm. you know, whatever yeah. garbage beforehand. <laughs> but then like I remember looking at my phone and it said like 245 and just mm -hmm. like a hot bubble of rage <laughs> <laughs> sort of like pulsed through my veins. Like, why am I still fucking here for this thing? It ain't Lawrence of Arabia, you know, so... 
good God. And by the end, I mean, I just, I was so, I I can't even tell you. I mean, you've been with these characters for quite some time and Mm. you don't even care when they die. Mm. (laughs) It just seems like that's the, I don't know. So, Mm. I mean, we can get into some, I I found the, I found the uh, killers known as the twins compelling yeah. and charming uh-huh. they are it's a black guy and a white guy mm. cockney accents of course because mm. this is a quentin tarantino ripoff mm. and um the the twin one of the twins um is obsessed with thomas the tank engine even mm. though he's a full-grown man which is a show that was popular in the 90s my mm. little brother was a, a huge fan and thomas is a metaphor for life Mm-hmm. Um, for for this character, and he learns to read people by learning the lessons of Thomas the Tank Engine, mm-hmm. which is which was funny to me. Um, and I did like. I guess if there's one shred of like meaning to hold mm-hmm. on to, there is a kind of funny through line about metaphor. Mm-hmm. Many many of the characters like introduce metaphors that don't right. quite work, and then complain about <laughs> other people continuing to belabor metaphors. Yes, <laughs> later yes. in the movie, like, ah, oh, what is it with this metaphor shit? Yeah, totally, it's funny. It's pretty funny. It's pretty mm. funny. And the only metaphor that leads anyone to any any sort of like good or meaning uh, oh. comes from Thomas the Tank Engine. Mm. So I, you know, I respect that. That was pretty funny. Mm. Um, in general, I don't know. I like Eileen. You know so much about action more. Mm. About about action films than I do. I'm not a huge fan, although mm-hmm. I, I really enjoy Quentin Tarantino's work. But mm-hmm. it seemed like a really tedious, mm-hmm. uh, not nearly as fun ripoff of, of Tarantino. And it I does. was just like, yeah. why am I here? It yeah. seems very much, <laughs> the first thing you think is, it's, this is early Tarantino crossed with early Guy Ritchie. It very much seems seems that way. In that yeah. it's trying to to do a kind of, uh, you know, violent mayhem you know, with a lot of blood, a lot of gore mixed with humor. And like yeah. punctuated with, you know, humorous timing and just humorous delivery. And you're supposed to laugh in that un, sort of slightly uneasy way. Though I don't think anyone's uneasy anymore. It's so, right. it's so common. It's, it's now so old hat that you, you can't act like this is fresh anymore. We've seen, I mean, I'm talking like Kill Bill 1 and Pulp Fiction. And right. also the kind of amusing, once very amusing, cutting it from often from some super tense or violent scene to uh, a flashback to backstory of a character that Tarantino did all the time. And, you know, that was once very amusing. Now it's just like, and by the time they do it for the 10th time or whatever, it seems like 10 times, it's really, you're really tired of it. And there's, there's a lot of belaboring. There's a strenuous quality to the whole movie. Mm -hmm. It just, part of that length feeling is just, it seems heavy. Like the, the thing about the, First previews, especially whoever caught the first first trailer, which is months back, made the movie that it should have been. <laughs> it had all this great timing; it was pop and it was funny. And you're like, "Oh, if this is really going to move like this, uh, okay." And the, even even though, though as they went on with the previews, they got they got more labored and less. So I was starting to dread it. By the time I finally saw it, I was like, oh, "Okay, I'm starting to get a bad feeling." Because yeah. the movie is just heavy in a way; it doesn't make any sense considering how dominant the kind of black humor plus violence thing is, you know, and it's also Guy Ritchie snatch. If you ever saw Brad Pitt and snatch, he's absolutely hilarious. Mm-hmm. I I was an early devotee, you know, even in Thelma and Louise, he's very funny. Yeah. Him, in, Brad Pitt in comedy is 10 times better than Brad Pitt in those kind of romantic melodramas he used to do when he was such a pretty boy. It was hurtful to look at him. Totally. Um, he's, he's just gifted. He just has always had great timing. And again, thank God for him. Cause he's carrying this whole movie. Andy's carrying it with the most one note character. 
he has to play the same thing, just endless yes. little variations on the same conceit, which is, again, it's a guy who's recently been through therapy, really like <laughs> grabbed onto it desperately. And so he does nothing <laughs> but spout therapy, new age wellness industry cliches constantly in the midst of, you know, people shooting and stabbing him and him beating on them and, you know, all that stuff. He's constantly saying, when you point the finger at me, four more fingers are pointing back at you. Oh, wait, it's only three. That's weird. You know, that, it's that kind <laughs> of humor through, through the whole thing as he keeps trying to kind of stick with his new principles of peace, love and happiness and no violence. Right. Is, as his handler, played by Sandra Bullock, mostly till the very end in just a voice role, she's keeps saying, I, I think you've forgotten what you do for a living. There's no way to get these things together. Mm-hmm. So, yes, I like action film as a genre. I've always been a devotee <laughs> um, for whatever mad reason. It just be, often action film themes. Not only do I like the kinetic and, you know, I'm not, certainly not the first person to say, you know, there's a l- very strong link between musicals of all things and action film mm-hmm. the same kind of numbers kind of that have to qu- crop up with regularity the same kind of kinetic energy that can t- really take you out of yourself some of the most ecstatic audiences you will ever see are in action films and to see a great action film with a great action film audience is one of the great pleasures of cinema mm-hmm. um, because people get so into them and identify so strongly with them sometimes that can be disturbing we all know the bad side <laughs> of this i think there's a lot of misogyny often there's just a lot of macho bullshit that you can sometimes see people really get into. But often it's just the pure joy of it's a simple vengeance narrative and my whole life sucks. And but at least I get to identify with this person who's gonna who's gonna kick ass now because they they picked on the wrong person. Kind of mm-hmm. To go to a John Wick movie is exhilarating for that reason. The entire working class population, I swear to God, recognizes <laughs> in the John Wick narrative, you know, I'm with John Wick. John Wick just wanted to be left alone <laughs> to live his life. And then his wife dies of cancer and then they kill his dog. So now anything he does to them isn't enough. It isn't killing them hard. enough. So right. the joy of the audience and just be going, yes, I just want to see him mow through everyone. And you're with him hundred percent and it's thrilling. And, and they're very, very cleverly done in, in most of the John Wick's sequences, scenes, action shots, choreography. It's all going on. Mm-hmm. So it can be a really exhilarating form. So I love that. So I tend to be tolerant of at least a lot of action. I'm more receptive than I I really was trying hard to like this film. It's it's just badly done in that even the choreography, which, you know, and this guy knows choreography, Leech, obviously, it's yeah. just it just doesn't seem fresh. You don't remember it. It isn't edited in a way that's going to stick with you. That right. kind of it just doesn't come through in the way one would hope. Um and again, he desperately needed an editor to be overriding him because he just wanted to linger over way too much shit. I don't know why. Um, that should have been a 90 minute film. Yeah. Um, way too much. It's- way too much. And, you know, the, just the other thing to wrap it. The other thing I really love is a premise. <laughs> this <laughs> is what made me want to see the film when I saw the first of the previews ages ago. I, I love the premise of job burnout, work burnout. Not only because, you know, I and almost everyone I know has gone through horrifying bouts of them where you really think you're going to die on the job. It's just you can feel it killing you. It's that bad. Um, This is familiar to almost everybody that I know by now. And it's so bad. So to take a character who's in the in the throes of that, really suffering from it and is trying to turn it around and is in desperation, grasping at whatever they can get. And they turn to something absolutely ludicrous like 
you know, new age, <laughs> new age <laughs> nostrums and therapy speak and all this stuff that in no way can you make compatible when you have to go back to work with your work. They're in complete right. contrast. There was once a great show called Enlightened starring Nora <laughs> Dern. It was all about that. And in a really brilliant way, it only lasted. Of course, it was a brilliant show. It only lasted two seasons, but it was exactly that. Burnout woman, you know, has a, an ecstatic period of doing yoga on a vacation and swimming with sea turtles. Thinks she can bring all of her newfound enlightened ideas back to this horrifying corporation where she works. And it's all dark, horrifying comedy from then on. And it's so beautifully done. So mm -hmm. I really was thinking, this will get me through, this combination of liking action and liking this premise and liking Brad Pitt and comedy. Even with all that, I have to say, it's still kind of a lead balloon of a film, which is pretty remarkable, given all yeah. that evidence. Wow. And I, maybe I'm missing something, but I think in part it's because, at least in, from my perspective, mm -hmm. the characters don't, there's no arc. No. <laughs> you know, there's like no, no. progression. No. You <laughs> they get don't the come... situations for each of them. The only reveal is with the character called the Prince, played by Joy King, who mm -hmm. disgu has disguised herself as like a, a proper British, I guess, British schoolgirl um, in a little pink outfit. So she looks harmless. But, you know, she's a deadly sociopath, like almost everybody on the train, right. <laughs> all these assassins anyway. Um, so that's the conceit. And so, of course, you're going to have to find out what her deal is. Right. But with almost everybody else, the, whatever their deal is, is identified early on. And then it just keeps hammering and hammering and hammering. Yeah. Point. yeah. And, and the, the Joey King role, I, she's an actor who I respect. She was mm -hmm. in this very creepy um, film about with Patricia Arquette as her mother. Um, oh, my gosh. Um, why can I not think of this? Um, it's it's that story. It's a, based on a true story. It's about a woman who poisons her daughter mm. so that her daughter will become progressively ill oh, and she can get um, sympathy for it. Or, or yeah, it's one. about Munchausen syndrome. Yeah. Um, so they, yet. yeah, they, I, I believe it was called The Act. That's what okay. it was called. Yeah. And it was on Hulu. Mm. And I, she's extraordinary. Mm. Um, I don't know if it's the way this was written or directed. Mm -hmm. They really belabored her one note. One note, which exactly. Is, yeah, which is that she's an innocent, you know, acting like an innocent mm. little girl, but is an evil psycho. Mm -hmm. And she replays that scene. I, I'm not exaggerating mm -hmm. when I say it, I think like 10 times, yeah, 10 times, you know, where you see that same dynamic and you're like, okay, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, and she, there, there may be like a reveal with her character yeah. at the end. You find but out. But you're right. Her manner does not change. <laughs> no, there's no, th there's no, there's no growth. There's no, yeah. yeah any yeah. kind of like a realization that's important or meaningful. And, yeah. and so, yeah, the same same thing seems true of Brad Pitt's character. And yeah. I agree that it's, it's very funny that he is <laughs> spouting all this self yes. bullshit when obviously like it's incompatible with him as an <laughs> yes. assassin. Yeah. Um, but you at least expected they were going to like up the ante. He's going to really start losing it. I think he yells, he yells, eat a bag of dicks at the late. They're in the quiet car and they're yeah. having him and another assassin are fighting each other try and while trying to respect the quiet car rules, which is impossible. And he keeps getting shushed by the same prim faced lady. And he finally yeah. says that. And then he's like, immediately, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm working on it. You know? So yeah. they give him one second. And I kept thinking, this has got to escalate. You know, he's going to, he's just going to go nuts somehow. And they never do. It's the same thing over and over and over and over. Yeah. 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 So, so that, that's a weakness and it's, it's a missed opportunity because Brad Pitt is a great actor yeah. and he could really, you know, play some kind of like transformation, yeah. but the, it is, yeah, it's just. Or at least a build. If you're not going to go for a full character arc yeah. you know, during the length of a train, it's one of those contained action movies. that's supposed to be a big part, you know, that used to be so popular, like 
from Die Hard, you know, so it's action contained in a building, on a boat, on a blah, blah, blah. You know, that was a whole mm-hmm. thing for the longest time. So what they revived that to, it's all pretty much on a train and right, right. on the track, you know, right on the, you know, st- in the station platform outside the train and then you're on the train again. But weirdly enough, they also didn't do anything with that. Like you don't feel the, right. even though the, each of the cars are different and, you know, of course it's cool. I've never been on a Japanese high food train and, yeah. you know, you have Brad Pitt coming in going, Ooh, this is nice. You know? <laughs> and it, so that's very funny. That's a funny moment. And it is, it's super nice and posh and with the sheen on and all this luxury, but it doesn't do anything other than, yeah, they're stuck inside and they're fighting inside while trying to sort of stay undercover, sort of. Right. And, but like, there's even a bit that I thought for sure was going somewhere where of all things to worry about, he, do, he doesn't have his, t- he loses his ticket, Brad Pitt uh, mm-hmm. t- getting on the train. And there's a conductor who keeps, of course, <laughs> wanting his ticket and he keeps having to dodge him and make excuses and get away. And I thought, well, they, they got to build this. This has got to have right. a payoff. And they just forget about it. Halfway through. Like, meh, whatever. I know. And, uh, yeah. It's badly constructed. You, you wonder if they, did they have a lot more material and they, that, that was like a, five hour cut and they just had to start hacking stuff i have no <laughs> idea i have no idea but it, that was odd things that you think are going to build and pay off if you're going to do action comedy then do it especially because leach does not cite at least in the interview i read he didn't cite you know the obvious tarantino guy Ritchie kind of antecedents he cited um jackie chan and huh, okay. the coen brothers whoa what do you make of that well, I was, of course, shocked. Like, how dare you, sir? <laughs> how dare you? <laughs> uh, kind of on both, both ends. But, you know, especially the Coen Because the Coen Brothers, yes, they do. It's, it's, so, it's so weird because the only thing that you could be citing is that they also have wonderful scenes of, like, action mayhem punctuated with comedy. So, like, you know, the, all the stuff in Fargo, that the black humor is off the charts while just the, the coriest, most horrifying action is going on at the same time. So I, I'm assuming that's what he means. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it still doesn't seem, it still seems just an odd, to me, that was just an odd citation. Um, yeah. yeah, but it also seems to suggest a kind of ambition. This is, this is, this is for me anyway, aiming pretty high. Um, this is, these are the, the figures that I hold up before me while I try to do this movie. And this movie just, you know, even the even the action sequence, Jackie Chan is a master of build when it comes to an action sequence so that the, the you know, the combination of comic, the, the comical and the violent will build and build inventively. Like and he was inspired by masters like Buster Keaton, where right. it's not enough to just do a couple of things that are clever in a confined space or a weird space or a racing vehicle or whatever. And, you know, Jackie Chan, his his bus scene in the police story film is legend. But you have to keep finding a way to top it and top it and and. And you have to find something the audience isn't expecting right. for the final capper. Because now everyone's seen a million, million, million action scenes, you know, choreographed and performed by masters now for how long? How long have we had action in cinema? The That's 70s. how long. <laughs> oh, way longer. Way longer. You go way back with, with action. And how brilliant can you be? And how brilliant? And so, so you have to now. Admittedly, it's so hard. I'm sure I, you can't kind of blame them for being derivative, but you're going to have to find new combinations, and they don't. A good example of a recent great new combination is the inside the bus fight in um, Shang Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. There's this beautiful punctuation that is worthy of Jackie Chan. Horrendous fights on a bus with a guy, young man who seems to be wasting his life as a parking attendant, has no ambition, and his friend, played by Aquafina, who, who has no idea he has these skills, these fighting skills. 
Hmm. And there's a long, you know, you find out why he has these, but this is the first time she's ever seen them in his American life. He has never displayed them. And suddenly he's this insanely great fighter. So they're having this incredible, one guy has a machete for an arm. It's just insane. So it's all up and down the bus and the bus is careening out of control and everything else is happening. And in the midst, he gets pinned by the, by the most terrifying figure. And, and just with perfect timing, he reaches up and he pulls the little bell pull as requesting a stop. <laughs> and it goes <laughs> ding in the middle of like buses careening out of control. Aquafine is trying to drive it. You know, they're going down a hill. And there's going to be a crash. The whole, it's one of the accordion buses. The whole back half is flown away. It's insane. And he goes ding. <laughs> and it's the most beautiful comic pu- punctuation. It's brilliant. And to see yeah. somebody come up with that and think, I don't think that's ever been, I never saw it. Saw it. So it was just beautiful. If you're yeah. an action fan, you live for these things. <laughs> like that, that was inspired. Because <laughs> it was you, such an ordinary, th- this is an ordinary guy who knows about buses. He rides the bus. He's an ordinary guy. So he knows right. stuff in the middle. And that's the key. It's not just that it's a funny punctuation. It's the key to his whole, how he's going to survive and get himself and Aquafina out of there. Mm-hmm. Is the mm-hmm. stop. So it's 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 just so good. So anyway, you you look in vain in Bullet <laughs> for a scene like that where you whereas the to- whole tone of it is suggesting this is good this is what you're going to get. Mm-hmm. And it does try. I mean, there are things like you know, those kind of stuffed toys, plushy toys that are clearly you know, Japanese characters. There's a big one, a big mascot like funny one. I don't I, yes. I don't even know what it's supposed to represent cuz I don't know anything about it. But it's one of those big cute animated Japanese characters that's all kind of bus mascot. Mm-hmm. And it works as a disguise for, a, you know, one of the assassins in one thing. And it's very, very bouncy. So if you punch him, he makes a squeak. A squeak. So they're, they're <laughs> trying. They're trying to use these things. There's a whole thing with a snake that gets loose on the train. There's a yeah. drugged bottle of water that rolls Snakes away. On the train. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. And whoever drinks it is good. So there's all these factors that they put in play <laughs> so they can do that kind of thing. So they can plan it in the scene and then punctuate it in a humorous way later. Because you're waiting the whole thing for the snake to pay off. Right. And they try to pay it off, and somehow it just has no zing when yeah, it happens whatsoever. No. And I don't, I mean, I don't know if I'm alone in this, but I, I mean, I like some action films. You know, I, I, I will go see The Rock in pretty much anything. <laughs> <laughs> like, but you're in luck. I'm, He's coming up on Black Adam and stuff. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And, what, you know, what's thrilling about an action film is that you clench your stomach with excitement, mm. you know, and it takes you along on like a roller coaster mm. ride. I felt almost zero excitement. I was not afraid for anyone. Yeah. I was not like, oh, I hope they make it. I mean, it was <laughs> I a freaking flatline. Yeah. And there's a real attempt to be moving. It gets as close as they're ever going to get. Maybe I shouldn't spoil that. I don't know. Um, where there is one. First, it seems like one death, and then it's the other death. I can't get into it unless I... Should I spoil it? I don't know. Spoil it. All right. The twins. The, the, of course, the, the ones who aren't twins. Oh, I should give some names, I guess. Because um, they're, they're, these are good actors. Like, yeah, they're it's good. Sort of like the Joey King situation. They, they're uniformly, I think, as far as I can tell. Well, there's one exception. Yeah. They're almost all very good. And they're, they're really trying to be, to be funny, to be charming. They're doing... You feel, you feel a little sorry for them. because they're, they're better than this. Totally. But anyway, the actors playing. So Tangerine is the white half of the twins, quote unquote. Aaron <laughs> Taylor Johnson. We do get a flashback showing that they were raised together. Mm-hmm. Um, so they really do feel like brothers. That's not a made up thing. And Lemon is Brian Tyree Henry. And he's he's black. And at one point, it looks as if 
Um, it's uh, Lemon who has been killed, and you get the mourning of Tangerine. And then, of course, it reverses. You know, he turns out he wasn't actually dead. And uh, so the, then um, Tangerine actually is dead. Sorry, I'm spoiling this whole thing. So I hope if, if you really wanted to see it, I hope not. Um, yeah. And so you get these, it's clearly supposed to be, because you need some variation in the emotion and reactions you're having. So they're trying to make it happen. And the actors are doing everything a human with talent can do. And it's still just, I don't know what's went wrong in the direction, but you kind of, it feels very muted. Like how much of totally. it, you just can't feel it. Yeah. Yeah. That's the And they're both fault. so good. They're so funny. Yeah. And they're, they're a pleasure funny. to watch. Mm -hmm. And yeah. And I don't, yeah, you're right. It's got to be directing and maybe script. I don't know. Maybe, oh, I think script also just kind of, kind of just isn't. Yeah. It's, I think you're right. It's at multiple levels of failure. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. You, you, but the actors get across as much as can be gotten across. I mean, there's like, and there's like, you know, little performances that are sp clearly supposed to, at least if you know these actors, are supposed to kind of like, whoa, I can't believe this person. So Michael Shannon, who's of course a great, great actor, shows up very late in the film playing, playing White Death, this Russian, <laughs> uh, Russian mobster who's managed to wipe out a whole Yakuza clan in Japan and take it over. So he's supposed to be the, you know, the most, the, the worst of the worst of the worst kind of scary figure. So, you know, he shows up and again, you're like, that's Michael Shannon. Michael Shannon's just great. Mm -hmm. But it's still this muted kind of like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess he's scary. He's, yeah. And, you know, and he, and he, so he's on, and there's all these revenge agendas plus briefcase agendas. They're all trying, a bunch of people trying for the briefcase, a bunch of people after somebody in vengeance. So there's a big, you know, diverse cast of actors that are supposed to be from all over the world. Um, I'd say the weak link uh, of, of all of them. I guess I should probably list them all, but there's a lot. But you know, there's a lot of good ones. Um, is 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 Bad Bunny? <laughs> it's a, it's yeah. a cameo performance by Bad Bunny. He's uh he's uh he, you know the Puerto Rican rapper and you know he reggae and he's got a whole list of different types of music he performs and he's quite famous. He shows up for a pretty small role early on um, as a kind of you know cliche Mexican cartel badass who and then they just rip off Kill Bill One by having his vengeance be about the the murder of his bride and the whole wedding party and that's again yes. another flashback and that's so he's after you know who's responsible for that so he just shows up stabbing you know um first thing so and that's he's, another he's thread. not really an actor so he's it's relying on the look and you recognizing that it's i mean that is bad bunny and yeah 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 that that whole thing is another weird thread that that flashback to mm -hmm. that um to the poisoned wedding party, poisoned wedding party. It keeps yeah. resurfacing and where uh, we learn that um other assassins who are on the train were, were like brought together yeah and brought yeah. together by the white death because they were involved in this but yeah. then you're still kind of left wondering like but wait what and about what about that? it yeah <laughs> like one of them makes like, sense the one response mainly responsible for poisoning is a poison expert and what's her She's called the Hornet, and it's yeah. Zazie Beats. I hope I'm saying that right. Who's a very film? If you don't know her name, you'll still know her face. She's been a ton of things. Um, she's you know again very good, but she's it's a kind of a nothing role. She literally shows up to be like I'm the one, and then you get the little mini flashback seeing that she's there playing one of the catering staff, just like Brad Pitt is, mm -hmm. and that's it. You're like okay, she's the poisoner. And now she's trying to poison. She's got a syringe. She's trying to poison Brad Pitt, and it becomes a fight. You know, you're just like okay, but that doesn't really do much. There's not a lot of thrill associated with with knowing right. with knowing that. Um, and then and then of course they preserved. We'll get we'll get into the the controversy of the movie um, involving you know a, 
you know, pretty justifiable, admittedly, charges of whitewashing, but it, it gets a little tricky. But at any rate, there's a whole, there is a, a, a preservation of a three-generation story of this Japanese Yakuza family. Um, and so you know about the, the father of the kid who's in, who was pushed off the roof, um, mm-hmm. who's on the train to deal with that. And then his father, the elder, um, also shows up um, late, kind of later in the film. Um, he's um, here, Hiro, Hiroyuki um, Sanada, and he's, yeah, so he shows up later and he's got a whole vengeance thing that you found out in flashbacks that's his own thing. So there's some mm-hmm. nice, but again, very, very, if you know any, if you've ever watched any samurai films whatsoever, you know all this stuff. You know, the whole, <laughs> you know, you know, they always do, it still thrills me, but you know, I'm weird. Probably thrills <laughs> everyone and they, that's why they do it. They do the, you part the, you part the sword just slightly from its holder and you, probably not called a holder scabbard whatever the hell it is and you mm-hmm. hold it there for a second so you can just drink in the sound of it going you know makes that wonderful sound yeah and then, and then you wing it out and it goes wing, and it does all those moves in both in tribute but you always want them to do something else with it because we've seen it we've seen it nine thousand times over de- if you've watched decades of samurai movies you've seen that move so many times and there's yeah. no nothing added it, or not it's, much of anything added. <laughs> Yeah, it, but at least you know Sonata's presence mm-hmm. is, um, or I, I'm sorry, great. is it? Yeah, he's incredible. <laughs> yeah, he's so compelling to look mm-hmm. at, and for I, I would say his scenes are the ones that like the most moving, right? Or, exactly. Uh, that's how Bor- I felt. Border on conjuring some emotion. <laughs> yes, his son can't bring it. It's Andrew nope. Koji for some reason. I think he has a more weekly written, written role, but yeah, Sonata's great. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that at least is, you're kind of grateful for him. You're like, okay, they're trying to, he appears near the end yeah. and they're trying to pump some sense of meaning into this yeah. thing. And man, if anyone can do it, he can. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it, yeah, it ultimately falls apart. And, and it's too bad because he faces off with the white death yes. and, you know, with Michael Shannon and those actors are so fabulous, but it, yeah. it's dead in the water. Exactly. I mean, it's yeah. really the actors are bringing whatever is there because I, I literally can't, now I'm straining my brain. I can't actually remember it. <laughs> I go. can't really remember most of the interaction that's been, you know, that's what you, in the end, you're building toward. And it it's a yeah. strange phenomenon to watch that. Like the elements, there are elements there that if just handled differently, you feel like, no, that could have been something, that could have worked, that could have made something, but it just all goes awry in the most frustrating way. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but well, let me give the backstory on the, on the controversy. Uh, Bullet Train is based on a 2020, 2010 novel called Maria Beetle. Again, again, that's the name of the, of the handler of the ladybugs handler that is mainly voice only in this film until the very last little sequence you get uh, Sandra Bullock actually shows up to play her in the end. And we'll get to her appearance. I hope you notice too. Yes. Yeah. Whatever Sa- Sandra Bullock's been doing to herself, she needs to stop it. Um, Bro. anyway, Michael uh, Jackson. Yeah, don't let me forget. We need to talk about that. Yeah, oh my god. Okay. Uh, so anyway, uh, so you know, it's by a, a, an author who's a big bestseller in Japan. Very prolific. You know, many many novels. He specializes in like crime thrillers, crime fiction. Um, his name's Kotaro Isaka. Um, and you know, the the accusation is this was this was like the feeling is this should have been a Japanese cast set in Japan. It is set in Japan, but it should be a Japanese mm. cast. And instead, especially the lead roles played by Joy King and Brad Pitt. Um, are of course two white characters, and you know Leach and um the the screenwriter um Zach Olkowitz, you know are are doing a lot of defending and just saying basically you know you didn't 
you know, it's this, it's, they always wanted a very international cast. So with indeed there, you know, there's, there's, there's people from around the world, there's a Mexican, there's some Japanese characters who are some of the main characters, there's you know, black characters, white characters. They're, they're, they're making a plea for, well, it, but it's diverse and international. And um, according to, I think it's Leach who says, it just shows you that the strength of the original author's work and how this could be a story that could transcend race anyway. Mm-hmm. That starts to make you go, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> people should just not talk anymore. I swear, I that would be for the best. But, you know, interestingly, Asaka himself has argued this was a fulfillment of a dream. He's always wanted <laughs> one of his films to be taken up by the Hollywood community to become a kind of global film experience. I mean, mostly he's known really well in Japan, but he's certainly not known particularly well in, in Western countries like America. Um, and so he, and his own inspiration as a writer come from people, a lot of whom are like, you know, Agatha Christie and Ellery Queen and stuff. So he already had in his own writing, he says, a lot, he notes, a lot of um, Western influences. So he didn't see it as, like, he says, look, I'm not trying to write about, I'm not trying to introduce anybody to, like, Japanese culture and Japanese right. people. That's not, I'm, I write, I'm writing kind of, kind of crime thrillers that, that that's, it doesn't really matter. So he's really being insistent and very, de- and defending the film. I, you know, obviously I didn't read the source material, mm-hmm. but it, it seems like with the exception of um, the actual samurai, there's very little about it that's like that's specifically anything about Japanese. Japanese. Yeah. yeah. So, you know. Um, and again, it's in, it's in Japan. And of course, the Japanese bull trade, but there's, of course, very, you very, see very little of it. You're always almost entirely on the train. You see a little tiny bits of neon light outside right. occasionally, but. But not, there's nothing there doing that. I mean, I haven't read the novel. According to people who've read the novel, it's not even particularly organized around, you know, Japanese sensibilities, Japanese cult. It's not, it's not very particular in that way. And again, the author mm-hmm. insists it is just, I just not my, I don't have any kind of agenda like that at all. Yeah. So okay. it's just sort of left with, huh? You know, I don't, I don't know what repercussions, if any. I just know it's become a big topic for a while of conversation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah i i you know i don't have a take i i could see i could definitely understand i mean obviously i'm just getting annoyed as hell. like why but you know why at the same time i do wish he at least said maybe it does seem a little weird especially because the lead guy if the lead guy had been a you know japanese actor it's, it's a little it's a little awkward perhaps yeah <laughs> the main person is brad pitt but on the other hand I mean, the horrifying yep. <laughs> economics of lo- global cinema often are, are to blame for this. Where, right. Yeah. So, right. so yeah. Uh, yeah. There it is. <laughs> I, it's one of those where, yeah, I, I don't have a take either. And, you know, Joey King has come out and said, yeah, I don't think this is right either. But that's all I've read of what she said. I don't think a white, a white actor should be cast. And so that includes herself. Ah, uh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. what did you what do you think about the white death being Russian? At first, I thought like, oh, that's kind of a cheap move. Yeah, <laughs> but- and that again seems very much like Tarantino's Kill Bill. But the difference there is, it was a um, uh, Lucy Liu playing. I think she was supposed to be half half Chinese, half Japanese, and so already hugely controversial mm. that she takes over the Yakuza Got it. clan, and of course. After a blizzard of insults at her, when she seems like she's about to take over, somebody just says, we, we, you know, she is not true Japanese. And she kind of comes down the table. Wonderful, wonderful scene. Very kinetic. Uh-huh. 
Um, uh-huh. with her sword and just lops off his head and says, "Anyone else?" <laughs> and she, Lucy Liu gives. I just have to do a little tribute. What a great performance! And what the hell happened? She should have been. Oh, in I know. Ninety-nine action films after that, and been the lead, and just talk about rage. What the hell happened to Lucy Liu? Yeah, well, nothing. <laughs> well, that's not true. She still had a career, but nothing like she should. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyway, because formidable, my God. My God, she's just absolutely phenomenal. But anyway, so this one, yeah, is a little more like, yeah, it's a little more uneasy making that some Russian dude, however scary, could just infiltrate, gain acceptance, and then slaughter everybody. And it's all, again, it's just all covered in gory flashback. Um, yeah. And you're just like, oh, okay. And there's a Russian mobster who's now the head of <laughs> the Yakuza and, and, the, and sure. an international crime organization and whatever. The usual right. giganticism. Everyone's the biggest, the best, the blah. You know, in this top assassin thing, it really bears, you know, wondering about like how many top assassin movies can we possibly or top hitmen or top secretly trained, you know, whatever. Yes. We all come back to the same thing. Always an elite, you know, team of assassins just seems to be going on and on year after year after year. I just saw Gray Man. Terrible. Oh, God. Um, And it's another of these. Well, he's this is how he gets to be the greatest killer who ever was having to fight another of the greatest killers who ever was. And I was just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Could we stop? Yeah. <laughs> it's can't we just have a regular person? For one thing, there's greater tension. If everyone doesn't turn out to be a special black ops, whatever the hell, who right. fears no one can take every kind of punishment is unbeatable. It's just kind yeah. Of, it, everything, yeah. everywhere, all at once showed us the joys of having you know the amateur. Yes. <laughs> uh, do the fighting. Yes. <laughs> so. The amateurs thrown in and having to cope is is much more exciting. And you know that was the charm of Jackie Chan. Even though of course he would always turn out to have fabulous skills, he found the humor in it by making himself the kind of scared, much more ordinary. Because by virtue of as he said of being the opposite of Bruce Lee, I'm he's handsome. I'm not. He's like mm-hmm. obviously just fantastic skills i always look more awkward so we're just gonna play that out i'm always the one desperately picking up a chair and trying to fend off eight guys and, and i'm always looking like there's no way i can survive and that's the whole humor he he can stand for us in a way that's kind of believable and then there's some way or reason he can come out at the end to be like drunken master turns out right. when he gets drunk <laughs> his <laughs> skill level goes through the roof that kind of thing <laughs> I know how that feels. I do too. <laughs> no, that's yeah. what's so great about Drunken Master, especially Drunken Master 2, which is a masterpiece, is you're watching going, yep, <laughs> that makes total sense to me. I'd be better if I was drunk too. Yeah, it might be, a, probably is a total illusion, but it's a convincing one. Jeez. Right, right, right. So yeah, so yeah, it, yeah, I was very disappointed. I realized I had kind of missed the whole action film thing this mm-hmm. summer. Maybe because Gray Man was like, meh, didn't care. Yeah, that's, at least they used to. You just used to get so many big action films that were so exciting. And now that we have superhero films, I find the action to be always less exciting. It's so much CGI. And again, oh, it's God, the yes. superhero factor. Superheroes yeah. fighting superheroes is not nearly as exciting to me. So it's always just like, eh, I don't even consider them action films, even though they're dominated by action. No, absolutely. So, yeah. So it's been kind of dismal, if you like, action this summer. Um, well, how do you think this fits into like, I, I do think I see like an affinity between Bullet Train and uh-huh. and even, you know, better films like Everything Everywhere All at Once. Mm-hmm. There's like, it, it's I, I do think I see that sort of like continuation of like a, for lack of a better word, mm-hmm. maximalist yeah. aesthetic. 
Yeah, yeah. There's just, you know, like all this shit thrown in. Everything's international. At least mm-hmm. Bullet Train doesn't have the like added confusion of like some kind of multiverse. Yeah. <laughs> but but it does have a, a total hodgepodge of cultures, mm. a total, you know, yes. like a, mm. a sort of like animation mixed. Even though there's no literal animation, there's an animation kind of aesthetic through the Japanese, um, the, like certain pop Japanese aesthetic they keep mm. evoking, you mm. know? Yeah. And they do quote cartoons, mm. Thomas the Tank Engine oh, and right, this other right. cartoon. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's something about that that's got this like, you know, it's a very big poppy look mm-hmm. um, that's enjoyable, but it does, I wonder if it contributes to that feeling of like, like lead, you know, it's just like weighted down. Mm-hmm. Um, it, everything, everywhere, all at once made a lot of meaning of it. Mm-hmm. Um, this doesn't, yeah. <laughs> but it's still got that same look, which is kind of interesting that we're in that weird, this moment mm-hmm. of, of, of maximalism that Elvis also shared, you know? Yeah. And I, it, that seems to make sense. Cause in, a, in such a terrifying way, we're so hyper-conscious now, or at least a, a lot of us, um, yeah. being in the same disastrous, uh, you know, situation <laughs> and maybe right. that's partly powering it not only the dream of a multiverse and there might be a way to leap <laughs> into some other you know re- related reality but just <laughs> also this sense of yeah everything is ha- is moving global moving toward the global a uh, kind of global terror that has to be faced and that perhaps that's probably is why there's just this endless superhero thing yeah, and superheroes are going to have to take over and do whatever is going to be done because it's gotten beyond, you know, human intervention. And so there's, I'm sure there's, I'm just books out on it. I'm sure going on, yeah. on about exactly this. Um, and that's probably right. But you're right. Everything, everywhere, all at once. You know, find such a human angle in this middle aged woman, played by Michelle Yeoh, of course, mm-hmm. that it grounds everything again, so that it can go all fantastical just through this, you know. This woman, this very disappointed woman who feels she's a failure and everything, wearing her little quilted, worn, worn out quilted vest and everything, which was so such a touching detail. I can never think of her with not in that little vest. I know, I know. Uh, that that is a costume designer who should win, will never win, but should. That was True. handled so beautifully. <laughs> yeah. So so it's maybe it is that you know I'll, uh, my favorite example of how to humanize big action, and this goes is a huge throwback, is Die Hard. And it's a very famous sequence where, you know, it's all this, you know, Bruce Willis is MacGyver and there's nothing he can't do in a building. And, you know, it's, you know, the usual group of, you know, international, though they're pretty much Euro trash um, uh, villains who are all brilliant, like computer wise can do anything. They just are laughing. But there's this wonderful scene that cuts it, cuts, there are many wonderful scenes that keep cutting this down to size again. But the beautiful one with the Bruce Willis character is, when 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 Ellen Rickman as as Hans the ultra villain says shoot the glass and his henchmen shoot out all the glass and he can't get away he's barefoot for reasons I won't get into <laughs> he has to run through broken glass to get out of the room before they shoot him yeah and he just leaves these gory awful smears behind him and he's screaming and you know anyone who has feet <laughs> can feel <laughs> it like ah! <laughs> and so all you've seen all kinds of violence but nothing is quite brings it home as much as that this is like oh so finding that kind of gesture toward the human and the ordinary and the actually being embodied mm. will always bring down all this you know it's all stunting and impossible no one could live through that kind of thing but if you can just bring it down to someone's lived experience it can be so powerful 
Right. Because, right. you know, so much of action thrills are, let's just take me and then I get to sort of fantasize. I could do what my emotions would prompt me. Like if mm. in that situation, I would be so enraged that I, and that feeling that if my rage could make me uh, uh, able to kill all these people, but yes. of course it wouldn't, <laughs> but in life, but in, in your fantasy, it's so satisfying. Like I, yes, my, suddenly my Titanic rage would make practically make me larger, stronger, faster. Absolutely. Um, so that is, is the satisfaction. And it's amazing how People get so rote, they copy each other so much, which is typical of genre and formula film, mm-hmm. that people just forget to do that, or they don't know how to do it. They don't, they don't know how to find the detail that'll make it hurt you. Um, That's so true. There's a very little humanity in this yeah. film. And even like, um, I mean, Brad Pitt is sort of down to earth with his mm. bumbling humor, but like his stunts are so to my eyes like just cgi it's just him Mm -hmm. like winding through the air in a way that's like physically impossible you know unless with a computer and they they really like aren't opportunities for that kind of like um yeah even feelings of humanity or yeah that like that fantasy that your your emotions could make you mm. coordinated right exactly <laughs> in a way that you're not. because yeah. they don't they never know where to stop I mean, admittedly they can't do it with brad pitt he doesn't he couldn't possibly have the skill set but like there are scenes where brad pitt is, is being the Jappy, Jap, jackie chan character in that he's he's fighting with ordinary objects that's one way you can humanize him. yeah so you know he he would take the suitcase the briefcase that everyone's after itself and fight with it by like jamming it in somebody's throat, but he'll keep flipping it in his hands at just supersonic speed in a very deliberately cartoony. There's even a sound effect that sounds a little cartoony a couple of times when he's yeah. doing this because it's impossible. You right. know, and you can see it. You know, sure, Brad, they've got Brad Pitt doing doing a turn and then they're animating, you know, they're essentially CGIing all the rest of it. If it was right. Jackie Chan, you'd be able to see him doing it. <laughs> that right. was the difference. That was always the fight between Hong Kong action, you know, that went on raged in the 80s and 90s and, you know, American school action. American school is a stunt team. You have to keep cutting away from the action because the course, your lead can't do it. In, in Hong Kong action film, they can all do it. And they will, um, right. if you, unless you doubt, they show you the outtakes at the end and you see where they broke their ankle or ruptured their spleen or what other ungodly fucking thing they would do. Oh my God. Jackie Chan broke every bone in his body like twice. And he would show you, here I am. Here I am in Dragon Master 2 falling into a bed of coals accidentally. Oh my God. Oh, just horrifying. But you know, that, that of course has its own thrill. We can still see the difference. You know, as much as CGI keeps getting closer and closer and closer, you can still tell. Sometimes just because it's impossible, but sometimes it just has that weird sweetened look that doesn't go away that I think people have gotten to like. I hate totally. it. Totally. I just hate it. Yeah, and the whole thing was so I think thanks for bringing that up. Like it was so crisp and yes. like glossy in a way that wasn't fun. Yes, wasn't fun <laughs> wasn't, and didn't play in. You can't feel it. It's just like yeah. yes, too yeah, too glossy, too polished. Yeah. Man. So many problems. Like yeah. Why was there no one to sort of cue him in? Because you know, it's not getting I, I should have checked. I meant to check on how it's doing box office. It certainly got you know, the polite term is a mixed critical reception. Yes. Um, yeah. So I don't know how well it's doing. I'd be surprised if it's doing super well. Um, there were, uh, let's see, it's, it clocks in 62.5 million. Um, I don't even know. I don't know what a budget, that's budget not that was. much. I forgot. Um, let's see. Yeah. Um, I don't, that's, the, it's debut weekend was 62.5 mm-hmm. million. I mean, hey, these days, that's really not that much. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
I mean, it's like not bad, <laughs> but right. It's not like no one would, but you know, it, right. and it could it also could just again benefit from what I said. There's a kind of just culturally built up expectation that the big the big action films come out in the summer, and yeah. so people are like, "Where's my big action film?" And maybe people are going to go anyway. I don't know. Well, people yeah. want Three Man anyway. What a piece of shit! And then oh, you find man. out it's actually eh, it's not doing bad. You're like, "What? That's <laughs> <laughs> terrible!" And there's what? nothing that it didn't blatantly steal from recent successful film franchises i was like well but that's transporter and that's john wick and that's the born identity and that is you sit through the whole film doing that it was just wow anyway yeah (laughs) disturbed my disturbed my summer pleasures okay speaking of disturbing do we need to talk about sandra Sandra, let us let us please yes what's it hell and then you know now by now we're used to Botox and plastic surgery. You know, we, Nicole Kidman, we have always with us, right? Right, of course. God bless. But dear um, God, I gasped. Uh, oh, oh my uh, God. It is a, it's a shock. So she's been like uh, Brad Pitt's like Siri, basically, in his yeah. ear the whole time, yeah. talking him through it. And I, I couldn't help. I don't know if my students listening, Madeline Wells, if you're out there, mm-hmm. Madeline Wells wrote this brilliant honors thesis mm-hmm. on the gender politics of Siri. Oh, wow. <laughs> this, this film is like a case study. Oh, okay. Yeah, like, wow. you know, she's got to get on it. <laughs> totally, totally. But anyway, um, so Sandra Bullock is just kind of his, like, you know, I don't know, like, help. Full, yeah. um, sophisticated secretary almost, mm. or a slash boss. You don't really know. She's she's calling from headquarters, and mm. she's always in his ear, and she's more level-headed than he is, and yeah. she's, you know, mm-hmm. giving him directions. Mm-hmm. And at the end, um, it, you know, it's a big reveal. Sandra Bullock is the voice, mm-hmm. and she comes on the screen at the end, and, like, it is amusing because obviously it's a nod to speed, yes. you know, which also takes place on a mode of transportation yes, yes, they're trapped on and yes, right. have to a much fight e- constantly yeah 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 a much more exciting film much more uh, yeah. <laughs> but she looks like michael jackson mm. Like they could be twins. It is so shocking. She is. I, I was like, did they shoot her through linoleum? Exactly. Like, why? <laughs> what is the filter on this fucking thing? Is I mean, I think she's I, had her face stretched to the point that there's not a human line. She looks like a store mannequin. She's it's totally, shocking. totally. And she's, she's standing next 60. to Brad Pitt, who I'm assuming they all have work done. I'm assuming he's having a little bit of work done. But it's so beautifully subtle. It's having the great, tasteful work. Oh done. my god! That all you yeah. can think is he—he he just looks so. He just looks better than he's ever looked. And he's standing, but he looks like a human because he's had it done smart. And he's standing next to like the worst plastic surgery job in recent history. I assume totally. I don't know how else to blame it. I just couldn't believe it. You can't take away any crow's feet, any lines off the face of a. How old is she now? Almost sixty. Almost I mean, sixty year like old woman. Come on. <laughs> it, it's really terrifying. It, it I know, really and terrifying. I feel for her. I don't mean to be such a bitch about it, you know. Like, I look, I I would totally. Be oh, open I take it. I do a little surgery. myself, but I wouldn't turn totally. myself into like whatever that is. Why do they do? It's I know why they live in this little LA bubble and they see each other. That's the yeah. only explanation. They must never travel. They must never meet British actors who just <laughs> they tend not to do British actors. They must not somehow <laughs> socialize or take in at any rate that other people don't look like this. Yeah. Because it's so startling. You can't believe a doctor isn't sued for, for this kind I know. of practice. It's just frightening. You could bounce quarters off her face. There is, a, <laughs> there is no give. There's no oh, give. Oh, Sandy. She, Sandy. I don't I'm even so know sorry, if I would have recognized her if I hadn't known. I knew it was her voice. And I'm like, 
I guess if there's enough of a remnant of her still lingering. But... I thought she was going to sing Smooth Criminal. I was like really confused. <laughs> I was just like, wait, what, what film is this? Um, really, yeah. Really stunning, <laughs> so... terrible stuff. And, and I think it's worse with Sandra Bullock. I will say this. Nicole Kidman can, she's so unbelievably tall and slender that she's got, she, she's just got a kind of freakish tendency anyway. That yeah. she can play easily and well. So, you know, see her in, what, what's it called? Nine Perfect Strangers? Is that what uh, like that show? Uh, nine, oh, is it? Is it's it Nine, nine Something Strangers. But yeah, the, the cult. It. The it's cult a cult thing, and yeah. she's the cult head and she's really eerie, but she's really powerful, you know, hypnotic almost. And, she, and her, her level of admittedly insane plastic surgery is just <laughs> right for it. And she weighs yeah. like three pounds stretched out to six feet tall. <laughs> it, it, she's incredible to look at just because she's so like, wow, what are you, lady? But it can work. She gets roles where she makes it work. Sandra yeah. Bullock was all about her humanity, and she seemed like us. She yes. was pretty without being overwhelmingly gorgeous. You know, Speed is all about, you know, she's just charming. She seems like a girl who'd wind up on the bus. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, so all of that humanity and of not looking too done up, always being kind of casual. In fact, a whole bunches of romantic comedies based on that fact with Hugh Grant, which were right. lovely. If you can, you know, romantic comedies were a little rough recently. But the two of them, <laughs> such a charm offensive that they could win you over because yeah. she was so good at being the kind of schlubby, clueless, I don't quite know how to do the pretty proper woman thing at all, but that's part of my charm. That was her mm -hmm. persona. So to mm -hmm. have her show up with this level of yanking all the humanity out of her face is especially shocking. Yeah. It's true. It doesn't work for her. Yeah. I'm really, and I, again, like, I'm so sorry that we're even putting her through this because I'm sure she didn't want whatever happened um, but, but it's yeah it's really unfortunate it's yeah. really unfortunate yeah so yeah, 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 anyway yeah. that was a shocker and then there are these other cameos that are like oh, yeah i forgot nonsensical that oh, they, yeah oh, they go no talk about go nowhere channing tatum's he's supposed to be you know some young man who wants to get in on the sex tourism industry <laughs> presumably that he's heard about i guess yeah yeah so every approach someone sitting opposite him of an assassin you know starts with brad pitt i think saying some crazy thing to him and he's like, oh, is this a sex thing? And, then he, and yeah. he does it twice or three times. I can't even remember. At least twice. And it just and doesn't go anywhere. Like nothing, right. ever, nothing pays off. You don't know what became of him because pretty soon there's nobody but assassins on the train and you're like, well, wait, what happened to that guy? Right. You have no idea. They never pay it off again. And you're so, just like, why did you pay Channing Tatum yes. probably half a million dollars to be here if, <laughs> if this doesn't pay off? And then the third nonsensical Cameo is Ryan Reynolds. Oh, right. I even forgot it. It's like two seconds. Yes. Yes. And you're, again, he plays the assassin that Brad Pitt is, whose job Brad Pitt is kind of like That's taking right. over. Carver. He's yeah. Carver. He's got a stomach thing. Yeah, he's got a stomach thing. He was supposed yeah. to do the job, and instead Brad Pitt does it, and he's constantly dissing Carver. Like, Carver, what a schmuck. You know, yeah. just unprofessional. You know, on and on. And then you finally see him, and it's Ryan Reynolds, and that's it. That's but that, yeah, exactly. There's not, nothing more to it. Yeah. Like, I, you know, it, I guess it's revealed that Carver has done something, you know, awful to the white death that merits retribution. Right. But it's, it really, again, empty, goes nowhere. And like, why are you paying all these people oh, so much money? <laughs> yes. yes. Talk about briefcase, briefcase full of money for everybody. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I, yeah, I should have looked up the budget because I wondered how astronomical it got. But at any rate, yeah. yeah, it's wow. What a for me a disappointment because I think other people all realized it was going to suck horribly, but I had gotten <laughs> snagged by that first preview, which again they got worse and worse. I was just thought, well, at least I didn't think it would be great, but I thought, oh, but I'll enjoy it. I'll, and it really, it was very disappointing. 
Yeah. So yeah. cautionary tale, don't pay full price. Maybe a right. matinee if you really are at loose ends and you're just desperate for action and you just want, you know, that is supposedly funny and might you might find it sort of funny. Um, yeah. But, you know, you could probably even just wait till it shows up. On. Um, its budget was $90 million. Oh, so less has, than I thought. Well, okay. Yeah, it has not yet made back its money, but I'm sure it will. Oh, yeah, it definitely will. That was its opening weekend. Okay, so it's yeah. going to do okay. Yeah. And we'll get more that. of the same, probably. Yay! Yep. So yep. in a couple more summers, <laughs> there'll be another one. Woohoo! Yeah, can't wait. <laughs> oh, yeah, movie going. Uh, Man, it's dark out there. It's, it's dark. dark. <laughs> it's just dark out there, kids. Oh, anyway. All right. I think that's it. I think I think we yeah. wrapped this up and beat it to death. That is it for our episode. We are calling Bullet Train Wreck. Boy, then I'll talk about originality. I bet no one's done that one. <laughs> No, it's sorry actually, guys, but that's that's a headline deserves. it deserves. It yeah. does, it totally deserves. It does. Um, so thank you all for listening, of course. And you know, extra thanks as always to our subscribers who keep us in Thomas the Tank Engine stickers. Yes, we weren't working hard on these today, sorry. We were we're brain dead, we're tired. Um I'm so tired. If you're not a subscriber yet, but but you like what you hear, please consider signing up with Patreon to get all the film site content instead of just the half that is publicly available. Um, you can follow News of the Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Please join us in two weeks for more fabulous film talk on Film Suck. And until then, thank you once again for listening. Bye! <laughs> Bye-bye!